You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode 11, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. You can find me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. This show, Fireside Chats, was created simply because I wanted a show where I had an excuse to talk with the leading minds in the industry, whether it be former players like Trey Thomas and Eric Crocker, or with leading analytical minds like Matt Manicharian of Sports Info Solutions or Frank Frigo of Edge Analytics, and with those from the scouting world, like Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy. And and hopefully that excuse has the added benefit of presenting you, gentle listener, with some in-depth information about the game you love that you wouldn't have come across otherwise. With that in mind, when the Joe Douglas news dropped, which had him moving on from the Eagles, I figured it'd be a perfect time to talk again with Dan Hatman, because as I was researching information for a BGN radio show with Brandon Lee Gowton and Benjamin Solak, I was reading Hatman's college thesis, which was about general managers. So that's our guest for today. Hatman has a background in the league. He's been a great mentor to me, and I couldn't be happier to have an excuse to talk with him about this topic. And before we kick it over to that, one quick note. We recorded this chat on Tuesday, and as of today, as I record this intro, which is Thursday, the newest information we have regarding the possible moves in the Eagles front office comes from Adam Kaplan, who tweeted, quote, Expectation around NFL is that Eagles will promote Andy Weidel to vice president of player personnel, previously held by Joe Douglas, unquote. So keep that nugget in mind while listening, and most importantly, enjoy the show. Dan, you are the first repeat guest on Fireside Chats. That is quite an honor. How you doing, brother? Uh, wow. I was, I was <laughs> unaware of that. Very, very thankful. A prestigious honor, to say the least. That's going to go up there next to the Super Bowl ring. So yeah. very, very excited about that. Doing well. I'm doing well. So you have been on BGN before. That was Fireside Chats number 10. We talked about the failed dream team experiment. So a really fun romp of a show. But uh, seriously, there's uh, a lot of great information in there. And, and Dan, I will ask you just to give a quick rundown of who you are, your background, and what you're up to now. I broke into the NFL with the New York Giants. I was a pro scouting intern while I was still in college in the summertime. And then after I graduated, they had me come back down for a full year opportunity. After that, I uh, talked to people in the organization about how do you move up the ladder? They all recommended go get smarter, <laughs> go have some kind of <laughs> degree or something you can demonstrate your, you know, some intelligence. So I went off into UMass. I got my MBA, I coached uh, D-line and special teams there. From there, I hooked on with the Jets up until the lockout. And then that changed all the contract stuff. And then post-lockout, I went to go work for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and then in 2013, I actually started a company called Dynamic Sports Solutions. We built a piece mm. of software to help teams value players. Off of that, I uh, started up the Scouting Academy, which is where I'm at now. And so now we run an online 
educational opportunity for those that want to learn about football evaluation. I have been to the Scouting Academy myself. I would highly recommend it if you want to learn more about the game of football. And it's not just if you want to get into scouting, if you want to get into media, if you want to appreciate the game that you love a little bit more, uh, then that's for you. So let's move on from that. We're going to talk about the, the obvious news here. We all know the news with Joe Douglas leaving the Philadelphia Eagles to become the general manager of the New York Jets. So we don't have to obsess over the specifics in that manner. But for Douglas, this is an accumulation of a long history in the NFL. He started out in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens in 2000 as a part of their 2020 club. His next 16 years were spent with Baltimore working under guys like Ozzie Newsome, Phil Savage. And by 2012, he became their national scout. But Dan, before we move on with the rest of his career and what led us to this point, can you kind of shed some light on the phrase 2020 and what it would have meant at the time and the purpose for it? It's still relatively accurate in terms of what those numbers stand for. The first number was the age, people in their 20s trending closer to 20 than 30. And then the second number referred to compensation, $20,000, no benefits. And if you could survive those years. I mean, I had, I had internship pay 17, one internship paid 18 for a full year's work with no bennies. If you can survive those things, then you have your chance to get into those full-time opportunities, which is where he slid into that Northeast job. Uh, Literally being the the person who's scouting all the colleges in the Northeast part of the country, usually bracketed somewhere with a Pennsylvania, Maryland, then you pass either over to your Midwest scout or your Mid-Atlantic scout. Some teams will go down to Virginia with Northeast uh, because as many schools as there are up in that neck of the woods, there's not necessarily as robust of a talent footprint in Massachusetts and Rhode Island as there is in Florida and Georgia. So he's moved from that 2020 scout, then he then he goes up the ladder and eventually becomes a GM. And I was reading your college thesis on this, and you had a quote from Pat Kerwin in there where he kind of lists the things of, of what a general manager is responsible for. And then working through your thesis as far as like going in detail with what they have control of, what they have to manage, all of that stuff. Can you kind of give an overview of what it is to be a general manager in the NFL today? I think the best way to try to isolate this is when you are underneath that job, typically with a title like vice president or director of player personnel, you are watching football players either live or on film somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of your time that you're working. Mm -hmm. You slide in that general manager chair, you're lucky if you can get that number to 30% of your time. (laughs) That is trying to identify the fact that you typically move away from player evals into actual management of everything that relates to a front office. So you are going to oversee the scouting department, the coaching department, your video department, your analytics department, your medical department, your doctors, your trainers, your equipment staff, all those people are underneath the purview of this particular title. Uh, some people ends up being more of a vice president of football operations type. Some people get general manager, some people get both. But long story short, if you're if you're overseeing that entire piece, you're overseeing that entire piece. So yeah. if your third trainer leaves for another job, you're working to find a new trainer. If mm. your assistant video director gets a DUI, you got to deal with that. You know, you're the person who gets the call at three in the morning when something bad happens. Uh, you're the person they come complain to when they don't feel like their contract is what they want or mm. the tasks and responsibilities afforded to them aren't what they aspire to. So you move from player identification and evaluation into 
everything. <laughs> and it's uh, it's a massive leap in terms of how that, how that goes. And when you talk to people that have made that leap, the common thread through all of it is just you don't know until you're there. I mean, these are people that sat in the GM's office and had conversations about roster management strategy and had copious amounts of non-public information at their hands. And those people, the number two, or in some cases, maybe number three people in an organization are still very willing to admit that when they took that jump to the next level, the number of things that they had to do and the number of things they were unprepared to do grew exponentially. What challenges do you face as a general manager when you walk into a job, and this is special to Joe Douglas, but like after the draft, after the free agent process, basically what can Douglas hope to achieve after those major waves of changes have already been made for him for this year? What, what does his job entail, which if I interpreted your college thesis correctly, is pretty much everything. But what what can he do at this point to help this year? What can he do to kind of set himself up for the future? Evaluate your scouting staff, evaluate your coaching staff. Mm. Those are two pieces that you can get into. They're Neither one are going to change for the 2019 campaign that much, and most, most right. likely. But the first thing that you can change come end of December, January, sliding into 2020, uh, will be in those particular areas if you need to, right? And again, the evaluation doesn't necessarily require a move, but you need to know what you've got. You need to know your personnel. I think the, the best way to say this, the easiest thing that a front office does is grade, grade a player. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's grading a player is easy. I'm not saying that every team does it accurately, but the easiest thing that a team does is grade players. So watching players practice, watching players work in games, working towards your 53, he's going to most likely have 46 to 48 of that 53 are on the roster right now. There might be a chance to trade or claim a few guys at the cut down. So the week one roster is pretty much already at Florham Park right now. So there's not going to be a whole lot that's going to change for the week one roster. You can continue to improve and add pieces that can work towards the future. But a lot of that hay's in the barn. So in my opinion, the biggest thing that he can do is look at all those resources he's going to have to lean on. Again, I talk about that jump from 80% of film to 30%. That means you are delegating or outsourcing, right? All the rest of that work and all those feedback loops have to come up to you. So you need to make sure that that information flow is coming through people that you trust to give you accurate, unbiased information in a way that you're able to consume it and make decisions from it. So he needs to figure that out. My guess is part of the reason it took a little while was making sure that there was going to be budget and resources available so that he can bring in key staff right now. You know, typically when a GM gets hired in January, they get to bring in like one person right away from any team. Usually what we see, I wouldn't be surprised if there's five, six, seven people uh, that Joe's able to bring in in the next week or two to make sure that he's got the best chance to have the people on board. The one benefit of being hired now is that he's got 11 months to work his first draft, not three. You alluded to the amount of convincing that it took Douglas for take the job. This was a, a bit of a longer process. If what we're seeing from the media is to believe that it took a lot for the Jets to finally get a yes from Douglas. So something I noted on a show this week was how the general manager position is quite often a one strike and you're done gamble. And of course, I was citing your thoughts on the matter from the Inside the Pylon article where you tracked general manager candidates. So along with the regular concerns of money, 
talent, stability, perceived short-term job stability, even though we can argue that really never exists. But there's also the fact that if you whiff on this opportunity, if you whiff on this job, that's possibly decades worth of time and effort and sweat and tears to reach the mountaintop only to be undone because something somewhere went wrong on the field or on the sidelines and the results weren't great. How much do you think a guy like Douglas had to weigh that opportunity versus that risk in the situation with the Jets? I, I pray that he did for his sake. Um, <laughs> and I hope that every candidate does. Again, as you mentioned, I'm, I don't know how else to say this, but you get one shot. And yep. by going into year three, your owner is going to have an impression on if this is someone that we feel comfortable with for years three, four, five. Because most GM deals are usually in that five or six year range. Yeah. That owner is going to know going into year three, like, am I confident in how this is going thus far? Like, we're showing signs of progress. Because you don't get a GM job other than, you know, an Ozzie Newsom retiring and Eric DaCosta gets a chance to run the shop. Usually when you get a GM job, it's because the team stunk. Yeah. So you're taking over something that was not championship caliber. And the goal is to, well, we assume the goal is to move it to championship caliber. You're going into that situation, which is, again, going to be one that's rough, to say the least. And so you got a very short window. Uh, there's this, again, this assumption of that these things can be turned around overnight. Again, someone will say uh, Seattle or something else and how fast they got the turnaround and what have you. And, and that becomes the model and that becomes the expectation. So if you can't turn it around that fast, you clearly must not know what you're doing. Right. And I look at all these and say, okay, so in, in the age of of data and football, you know, an outlier is an outlier. In a lot of these cases, one team turning around, you know, Paul Allen did bring in John Schneider and Pete Carroll and, and they have worked well together and they did find Russell Wilson and there were elements of skill and luck involved in all of those things. And the undercurrent was a very, very competent, supportive, financially robust owner in Paul Allen who could let those things go and who wanted to see a competitive team fielded. I don't know if that's a, a constant across all NFL ownership. And so, again, if you're a GM candidate weighing these things, if I step back and look at it, how many ownership groups do we have objective evidence to suggest that they're honestly interested in a Super Bowl championship? Hmm. And that would be something I would weigh. You know, I'm I'm not convinced that we're in double digits in true, honest to goodness, not would be excited about having one, not that you know, it would be cool to have a trophy on their mantle place, but Honestly, every decision they make is oriented towards winning that versus is it oriented towards making money. And those are interesting conversations I, I would imagine agents should be having with their candidates in these situations. So you mentioned financially robust. Why would the Jets be held up with the money on the contract from what the media is telling us again? But you could make the argument and some have that like these aren't cap situations. I can pay, say, an offensive line coach like Dante Skarnecki of the Patriots or Jeff Stoutland of the Eagles whatever it takes to ensure that I have a top positional coach on my staff, just like I can pay a general manager uncapped money to guide my organization through the treacherous NFL waters. Like what is the sticking point there with the financial aspect of that? Well, as Amy Trask has talked about many, many times, liquid cash on an ownership level is not constant from team to team. So we right. oftentimes look at a Forbes ranking of what an organization's worth. Hopefully everybody understands that it's only worth that if you sell it. Just because <laughs> right. it's worth $2 billion doesn't mean you have $2 billion in a liquid asset. You only get $2 right. billion if you give up that asset. You know, Again, the thing about every stock you put into the market, like it's out there. It's worth something. But until you cash it in, you don't have any money. The actual cash on hand 
owner by owner is definitely a different deal. And I'm not convinced that ownership wants a third competitive market for salaries. They already negotiate with the players union via the CBA. And I want to say that if I remember correctly, the players are right. 51% of that, I think. Mm-hmm. It's 51-49 in one direction. So anyway, they're basically 50-50 split on the net, you know, uh, the, the money's coming in. And then, as you mentioned, the coaching salaries have become a competitive market, particularly when they have to compete with the college side as well. So you're in potentially millions of dollars for coordinators and even assistant coaches are really high six figures, if not into seven figures. Ownership doesn't want another competitive market. Right. So yeah, the GM might make a million and a half dollars a year for most clubs. And if he gets extended, might make into threes. If you're Bill Belichick, you know, you got that kind of street cred, you can make more than that. But $3 million at this level is, is a the reported income or um, salary for Joe Douglas is a double what typically a first-time GM makes. And we just talked about you only get one shot at this. So you know, most yeah. GMs are making, again, around that million and a half range from what's become public. Underneath that, yeah, you definitely have some people that are making six figures, but typically in the like 150 to 200 range. Maybe a few people have some leverage and can get up past that. But yeah, not really a robust, robust market. And I don't think they want it to be. That's true because the prices will just keep going up and up for, for everyone, really. Now, when we come back here on Fireside Chats, we'll get into how the Joe Douglas situation may impact the Eagles. That's up next, right after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on Fireside Chats, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kist here with Dan Hadman of the Scouting Academy. Now, let's talk about how this Joe Douglas thing impacts the Eagles. For the Eagles, they have a ton of front office members on staff that have connections with Douglas. You've got the Weidels or the Weedles, however that is that. Am I pronouncing that terribly? Is it Weidel? I believe it's the Weedles, but... <laughs> I, I, I could be wrong. We'll, we'll, we'll go with the Weedles and then we'll alternate throughout probably. So the Weedles, there's McCrate, there's Cunningham, etc. Everyone, we talked about these guys on BGN Radio episode 58. And Dan, I know you're familiar with them and the various roles that they hold. Uh, as we record this on Tuesday, June 11th, we have yet to see any big moves from Douglas. But would you anticipate an exodus out of Philadelphia? Yes. Again, when we look at this staff and Howie Roseman has final say. And so, again, I want to acknowledge that he worked in concert. That that partnership made this whole thing work instead of it being right. a friction relationship. It sounds like a very supportive one on both sides. But I'm always struck by this, right? So, right, right we're in here. We're going to be talking about the Eagles and people ask me, hey, what are they thinking here? What are they thinking there? What are you hearing out of the <laughs> building? It's strange to me because it wasn't that many years ago I was there. I, I left right as Chip Kelly was coming on board. So it wasn't that many years ago. Looking at the list of people in the front office, the people that were there when I was there, Howie Roseman, right. Alec Hallaby, mm-hmm. Anthony Patch, mm-hmm. Alan Walking. Yeah. And then we can move over to football admin with Jake Rosenberg and Tom Donahoe's a senior advisor. But 
again, there's like four core day-to-day people on the scouting side of it. Obviously, Jake has a very key role, not necessarily in the evaluation piece, but that's four people of a staff of like 25. <laughs> so yeah. the vast, vast majority of these people were brought in via Joe Douglas. If Joe's relationships help set the table for these people coming in, you mentioned, you know, the Weedles, you mentioned McCrate and Cunningham. Obviously, some of those guys have direct ties to Baltimore. He went out and found a Patrick, not found, but uh, brought in a Patrick Stewart from New England and, mm. and Sean Heinlein. And they've been with Buffalo. And people talk about this. This is like the all-star team. Yeah. You know, people in the scouting community talk like he went out swinging for the fences on all this. This was not a, well, we'll bring in any random 23-year-old who worked down the road at Temple. Mm. And then two years later, as long as he doesn't screw up the coffee order, we'll promote him to scout. Like he went out finding people that had 10 plus years and, and, and real credibility in the space. And Jeffrey Lurie being the kind of owner he is was like, okay, sure. I will put resources behind that. If you think it's in the best interest of the club, got to give Jeffrey huge props for that. Um, Because again, I've been in buildings and I've definitely heard about buildings where that would never, ever happen. Like you want to pay that guy what? (laughs) <laughs> Can't we get some other guy to do that job for like half of that? Right. Uh, and then it becomes a difference between do you have the vision of recognizing a box checker versus a difference maker? Like you can get someone to check every box probably for less than $50,000 a year. Yeah. But are, you're getting baseline information that literally every other team can get. You're not gaining any competitive advantage through your evaluation processes. And and as analytical as that organization is and how <laughs> open to those insights they are, they have the most robust, compensated, deep bench film evaluation staff of any team in the league. Yeah. So when we talk about these things, like I am happy to give credit where credit's due to Alec and his staff and everything that they filter up to Howie and the decision making, like it's awesome stuff. But this isn't like they're bare bonesing their film eval stuff. <laughs> Again, biggest, <laughs> most robust. Uh, years of experience are up there. Compensations up there. Like they just invest in everything. Yeah, like and that to me is the beauty of it. They're not investing in one thing. They're investing in everything. <laughs> if you can demonstrate the value and it can create a competitive advantage for Lori, no matter how big or small, he will invest in it. That's everything I've heard from, from about that organization, including from yourself, is is saying that. Coming back to your original question, like is there going to be some sort of excess? I, I have to imagine how he. He sees things out on the chessboard, right? Mm. So I can't imagine the idea of Joe Douglas leaving came up as a surprise 10 days ago. Especially when they hired Andrew Barry. Everybody had that thought when they brought in Barry was, ah, okay. So this is the guy to lead them when Joe leaves type deal. (laughs) That's been the thought process for a while. And then it's just just a head count. You know, how many people, you know, what was the handshake deal on which people can leave? Because – if they're there right now, they have a contract, mm. right? If their name's on the website, they have a contract right now. And Albert Breer posted, I want to say yesterday, the actual rules on the anti-tampering rules, which play into which staff can you go talk to. So there is no rule that mandates that Howie has to let anybody under contract leave for another job. Oh, wow. Unless they're getting final say, which is mm. what Joe's getting with New York. Everybody else he could sit on. Until their contracts up, yeah. If they are allowed to leave, and again, the the unwritten rules, generally speaking, like if the person's going for a genuine a genuine advancement in their career, and you you know you feel like you can replace that, you'll let them go. So, like for instance, a, a quick scenario on that. Let's say they promote Andrew Barry, and then Andy Weidel uh, has a has a opportunity for a promotion, 
in New York, they would generally let that allow that to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've said publicly, like, I'd actually be surprised if the Weedles don't go. Both right. Andy and his brother Casey, who's their player personnel coordinator, I'd be surprised if they don't go. Those are like the first two people Joe brought in yeah. when he got there. I would be surprised if TJ McCrate doesn't go mm. based on the way things are, because you still have like you still have such a deep bench of people. If you were to lose those people, you still have Barry. You, know, you still have Tom Donahoe. You still have Alec Hallaby. Your college department would still have Anthony Patch. You know, you just promoted Brandon Brown to director after losing staff to Oakland and you just hired Max Gruder out of Miami. Like they're good. I, I, the way my kind of count goes, if they were to lose four staff without hiring a single person, they would be on par with the average size and scope of other staffs in the league. They, they would obviously build that back up too. They want to stay, you know, above that line if I, if I am interpreting that correctly. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my read on it is if they find someone that's available to them that they think is an upgrade, like they're going for it. Now right. they might not make any change like they could you know if they let's say they let three people go pick a number mm. they let three people go i don't anticipate them adding right away because okay. again if you look at every website if they're on the website they got a contract <laughs> right. so nobody else has to let anybody go to philly either that's true Philly could look at people that are not under contract staff that are out on the street working for the senior bowl working for the xfl whatever the case may be if they found, mm. thought there was somebody there that was of value but otherwise they could roll through the 2019 campaign with enough staff to cover all their bases at a high level and then look at the market come January through May of next year and continue to build a department. You know, again, the assumption is of, uh, underneath an Andrew Barry of what Howie and Andrew's vision is of the staff under their direction for the years to come. Yeah. So you're kind of echoing, echoing the same thought that I saw from Daniel Jeremiah on the timeline. I saw somebody at Daniel Jeremiah and say, yeah, you come to Philly. And Jeremiah's like, look, he's got how he's got the deepest, best bench, you know, of, of scouts in the league. So it's good to hear you echo those thoughts as well. Yeah, I don't see much there. Dan, can you shed some light on something for me? I want to move away from, you know, the, the specific Joe Douglas situation, but it still is kind of tied in. Can you shed some light on, on something that has been very confusing for many? And it's going to get some chatter until Joe Douglas makes this decision. And that's the recent uptick in interest regarding media personalities and the hiring of them to prominent front office positions with, I mean, the obvious example being Mike Mayock becoming the general manager of the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Todd McShay has been rumored to be one of the guys that Joe Douglas may bring in with the New York Jets. Is this because their relationships, and I'm, and I'm kind of getting this from your, your college thesis. I, I was reading it and I had this thought that maybe this is beneficial for them. But a media personality's relationship with the agents, the community of agents for the players, because I remember that being uh, a, a considered a plus for when, example, like Phil Emery got the general manager gig with the Bears back in 2012, and he had his run as college scouting director and area scout that led him to having a wide network of contacts with agents, which is valuable. Is that one of the bigger pluses when it comes to considering media personalities? Like, why is this happening? I, I think we're running into a series of, for lack of a better term, coincidences mm. that we're starting to look at and assume a trend to. So it starts with John Lynch, right? Yep. To me, that's not like they were looking at media personalities. They went through a robust search. Jed York was very clear on like, I want a GM and a coach that believe in each other. And the Mike Shanahan connection 
was the common thread that pulled those guys together. And that was where the decision was made. You know, again, there was a lot of fear in the community on the Oakland opportunity because everyone knows that's John Gruden's shop. Like you're not, you're not going to run a shop. You're not really going to get to run things the way you want to run them. It, it, it's John's shop. And so there were a variety of people that were not interested in going out there. They want to, you know, if you're going to take that, right, if you're going to get that title, you want it to be your, your shot. Right. And so I know that those two have come up a lot in terms of, okay, well, no, so now we're tipping towards a trend. You know, obviously we've seen Lewis Riddick interview for a couple of jobs, but he was the director of pro personnel for two different teams right. before he went to ESPN. Yeah. I don't consider him in that bucket because he has that background. You know, and so this would be akin to, you know, if Bill Polian for some reason came out of retirement and got a GM job, would anybody talk about him as a media personality? Yeah. No, or the fact no. that he was a former general manager who just happened to go into media. Yeah. Riddick, Riddick just happens to be really good at talking on camera. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He does have that. That going for him. But so the two with Joe Douglas that keep coming up are Daniel Jeremiah, who very publicly announced yesterday he's very comfortable uh, with his current position at NFL Network and he'll be staying there. But those guys came up as 2020 together in Baltimore, you know, and yeah. that's just those shared experiences just run deep. You know, the people that you grew up in an instrumental time in your life that you had those conversations about, about how, hey, when we were, you know, when we get there, we want to run it this way type people. You're not usually having those with your boss. Right. You're usually having those with your peers and those relationships are just strong. And that actually extends over to Todd McShay. They played together at Richmond. And it's not mm. like he was like, who, you know, I've been listening to Todd McShay for 10 years and I think he's smarter than everybody I've ever met in the NFL. They played together at Richmond. Like, <laughs> you know, they sit in the locker room together. Those shared experiences, those relationships run deep. Yeah. So all of this is to say that I don't anticipate sitting here, if we're having this conversation five years from now. I don't think we're staring at this saying, ooh, there's a massive run on media personalities into football. I think it got condensed into a tight space. And I wrote about this in my thesis, like guys that came from a cap background were, you know, the hot GM thing for two cycles. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a trend. It was there were some people at that time that had done a good job to position themselves and earned opportunities and, and went forward with it. Some were successful and some weren't. But it didn't become a long term trend of cap guys getting that job. So I don't necessarily see this as a time where the media guys are going to get a consistent run on these jobs. I think that there's been these deeper relationships that have predated media exposure that have been difference makers here. So Dan, what I'm getting from this, because I am I guess I'm a media personality, is that I still have a chance. That's what I, that's what I got out of that. I do have a personal question on that, though. See, seeing as we know each other well enough, you've provided feedback on my evaluation as well as with the Scouting Academy and guided me in the right direction on other coaching sessions. We've also worked on the Inside the Pylon Draft Guide together. Seeing as I'm a media personality and I'm ignoring everything that you just said, if you were to recommend me for a position with the Philadelphia Eagles, what would it be and why is it none of them? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how you built in that I'm, I'm listening to none of that. So true true media you know, uh, yeah. piece there. So you, you, had, your, you had your question. We're going to get our headline out of this thing. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I would I would happily recommend you for a scouting assistant position, put you in the 2020 club Ooh. and, you know, see where it goes from there. Uh, to me, it's I mentioned this before. I actually mentioned this to uh, uh, Tommy Call, um, who, who interviewed me for a piece. He was writing on this a similar subject. You know, where do I see the people that are doing this work in a public space in terms of the team setting? 
I work with and are friends with plenty of people that are doing this. And I have respect for the evaluations of plenty of people that are doing this in a public forum. But I go back to the easiest thing to do in the whole business is watch players. Yeah. And everything after that gets harder, including the logistics of watching players when you're doing it for a team. Like if I want to sit down today in the comfort of my own home, which is where I'm at presently, and I want to watch the top player in college football and write a report on it and put it on a website, I can do that. I can do that right yeah. now. And I can do that under with no constraints. And again, whatever timeline, if I want to take a break and go play with my kid or use the bathroom or do whatever else, like that's cool. That's not how it works. There were days with teams. I had to grade 12 guys in a day because we had mm. decisions to make. You know, we got to get going yeah. or you're going to be at some school and you've only got three hours to watch film in your room with seven other scouts and someone else is running the remote. I got a little dose of that at the, uh, at the senior ball with the Exos film room. That's how it happens. For someone to sit down and under no constraints, come up with one accurate report is an awesome skill set to enhance. For someone to yeah. sit down under constraints and come up with 10 accurate reports <laughs> is a different deal. And so it's just a scalability thing. And again, it, it's not insurmountable, right? Other people have learned yeah. to do it. None of these guys were born with that. They all had to learn how to do that. So I do think that that's something that other people can learn. I just, I like to set it up as, you know, again, you're going to take jumps from these worlds. So day one of the class, right? Day one of the class. Remember reading Chambliss? Yep. So I put this article in front of everybody, day one of the class, about elevating yourself from world to world in that. So a high school player then has to elevate themselves and play at the college level, and then a college player has to elevate themselves and play at the professional level, and that those are worlds, right? That term's selected by that author to represent that it, it's not a linear progression. Right. It's a, it, You jump into an entirely different world, and then you have to master that world. Okay, this is not dissimilar from where I sit right now. It's, yeah, I've seen people of all backgrounds make the jump from world to world, but being good at the eval world does not make you a good scout in the context of how that job's presently constructed. If they redo this right. thing and they just have people, you know, teams go to a hundred scouts, all working virtually, all grading 10 players a week in the comfort of their own home, then yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of people that could have a job. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the way they're doing it right now, I'm, you know, that pipeline is not a linear progression. 10 people in a day would literally kill me. Plus, I think the vetting process would be very messy for me. So I'd appreciate if you didn't put my name out there. I'd like to stay under. Uh, I will withdraw that from consideration. <laughs> I appreciate that, Dan. Dan, that's all I got uh, as far as the questions for you today. It was an uh, absolute pleasure once again getting to sit down with you. Would you remind the listeners where they can find you, where they can find your work? Oh, well, I'm usually pontificating about something on Twitter. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at Dan underscore Hatman there. And then you'll find the Academy at the Scout Academy. Way more educational over on that side of things, trying to put content yeah. out there for you guys to enjoy. Uh, and then if you have any questions, you can email me directly at director at scoutingacademy.com. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Thank you so much for dropping by, Dan. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs>